Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. We're spending this summer studying the book of Acts together. Join us in this study and engage in your Bible daily using the Acts Daily Study Guide, available at the church this week or on Sunday before service. If you've missed a week, you can watch or listen to all the previous week's messages at RedeemerTulsa.org slash Acts. Now here's week five of Acts with Pastor Adam Barnett. Good morning. Good to see you today. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3. If you forgot your Bible, there's a red one under the seat in front of you. And if the Bible's new to you, you want to make sure you can find Acts, Acts chapter 3 uh, easily and quickly. So that's page 1694 in the Red Bibles. This is week five of our summer series on Acts. Feel free to take notes in your Acts study guide on page 43. Uh, And if this is your first time to be with us during this Acts study, the study guides are available on tables in the lobby. Um, You may notice on the top of that page in the Acts study guide that today's passage is Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 542. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, I'm not preaching on 105 verses this morning. Rather, I'll attempt to summarize this span of Scripture today. And in, in your individual study time this week... I encourage you to focus on these three chapters as a package, as you read and study and journal and pray. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John met a beggar who was crippled since birth, and he asked him for money, or begged for money. And Peter said in 3, 6 through 8, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk in the name of Jesus Christ. We'll see that throughout today's message, the power of the name of Jesus. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And you go on to read that this man began jumping around and praising God because that's the same thing you would do if you were crippled since birth and you were healed and your legs and your ankles were now strengthened. You would get up and jump around and praise God too. And the eyewitnesses were filled with wonder and amazement and awe, and all of these eyewitnesses created such a commotion, Peter saw an opportunity to witness and to preach, and so he began to preach with this amazing, affirming, gentle message. Repent! You've got to turn away from evil, and you've got to turn to God and follow God. And the Jewish authorities, the court system, the Sanhedrin, they hear this commotion, they discover what's going on with Peter and the apostles, and they come on the scene and they are interrupting this message, and they seize the apostles and put them in jail. So the Jewish authorities are greatly disturbed by this ministry and by the message that these apostles are preaching, so they begin to question Peter and John. And here was the main question, by what power or name did you do this? By what power or name are you healing this man? And it's possible in this moment that Peter remembered what Jesus had spoken to him about persecution. Do you remember what he said to Peter about persecution? You're going to be handed over. To the local authorities, the councils, you'll be flogged in the synagogue. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as eyewitnesses. And when you're arrested, don't worry 
When you're arrested, listen to that encouragement from Jesus. When you're arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say. It's not going to be you speaking anyway. It's going to be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And right here in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5, this moment has arrived. Peter's thinking back on how Jesus had encouraged him and prepared him for this. And here's the moment that it arrived. Flip the page, Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and if we're being asked how he was healed, now listen to this, he says, then know this. Don't you love that? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. It's by that name that this man stands before you healed. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, you all are a wonderful congregation listening to me preach this morning, and I love you dearly, but let's consider for a moment the audience that day that Peter was speaking to, the priests and the rulers and the elders, the teachers of the law, the high priest and his family, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees, a wealthy religious group who, by the way, did not believe in the resurrection, and Peter's preaching the resurrection. And so here he is, this humble fisherman with zero public speaking experience, and he had the audacity to say, know this. Know this, Jewish leaders, council, religious elite, Know this. It's the name of Jesus. In other words, the time when your ignorance might have been excused is now over. You must repent and you must believe in the name of Jesus Christ and turn your ways or you're going to face the consequences of rejecting it. And he preaches this outstanding short sermon, a lot shorter than mine today. The points of his sermon were clear. And Frank, number one, they were guilty in crucifying Jesus. They, his audience, he's speaking to them. They're guilty of crucifying Jesus. This is a courageous opening to a sermon. This boldness, this declaration was startling. And although Pilate had given the formal sentence, it was they who crucified the king. And I want us to pause for a moment and acknowledge that we can all relate. Although Peter was speaking to those present that day, it is all of our sins that contributed to Jesus' death sentence. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. And it was the death of Jesus. So, I suppose we can relate to Peter's audience that day. But then comes point two of his sermon, Jesus rose from the dead. This is the proof that Jesus is God. He is Savior. The resurrection of Jesus makes death nothing more than a helpless comma in your life. Hello? Anybody over here? Do you want me to continue? Amen. Just one. Thank you so much. The resurrection of Jesus makes death a comma 
It's not over. It's not over for you and me in Christ. He resurrected so that we might have life. The message of Jesus' resurrection proves everything that is essential about Christianity, everything that is essential about our faith today. And the third point of his sermon is that the purposes of God will not be stopped. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone, he says, that you builders rejected, which has become now the cornerstone, quoting from Psalm 118.22 and Isaiah 28.16. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the prophets of old, and God has salvaged that stone that the builders rejected and built another temple, a new temple, a spiritual temple. And despite all of the opposition and despite all of the persecution, the will of God and the purposes of God cannot be stopped. And that's Peter's message. I'm going to say that again. Despite all of the opposition and despite all of the persecution, the will of God and the purposes of God cannot be stopped. And how beautiful How beautiful that Peter is preaching this message not long after Jesus promised him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Jesus is saying no matter what the opposition may be, no matter what persecution you may face, my church will be unstoppable and nothing can overpower my church, not even death. Point number four of his sermon. I feel like I'm preaching a good sermon because it's Peter's. Hello. Point number four of his sermon, Jesus is the one and only way of salvation. Peter's boldness was a result of the conviction, not just that Jesus saves, but only Jesus saves. You with me on that? His conviction in this sermon, it's not about Jesus saving us, it's that only Jesus can save us. He says, Jesus says, I'm the way, not a way, not a option, not plan B, I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know there is nothing more offensive to mankind than the claim that we cannot save ourselves? Right? Because we love to fix every other problem. Anything wrong in your life, you start thinking of solutions. What can I do? How can I solve this issue? Who can I call? Who will help me? What's my plan? Listen, there is no plan B for you and me. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. We cannot save ourselves. There's not a good deed or a performance or a tradition or mysticism, enlightenment, spiritual paths, whatever it is that's preached out there in the world. You've got to get to the text here where Jesus says, I'm the way and the only way. Nothing and no thing restores us to the Father except the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. Is anybody here? You're okay. You talk back to me. It's fine. This is a conversation. Nothing. Let's try this again. Nothing can restore you to the Father except the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Not your deeds and not your performance. Not what people think about you. Not your reputation. Not your past mistakes or the 10-year-from-now version of yourself. You're not going to be accepted more by God 10 years from now when you're holier than you are today. It's the blood of Jesus, period. So Peter preaches a great sermon. Um, You're guilty. You crucified Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. 
the purposes and the will of God cannot be stopped, no matter what opposition, no matter what persecution we may face, and Jesus is the only way of salvation. So the apostles were ordered to stop speaking to anyone in the name of Jesus. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and then they were released. So turn to Acts 5. The believers there we see in Acts 5, after the apostles are released, they rally together in prayer, they share their resources, they are encouraging one another. And verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So we see again from Acts 2, the church was growing, it's growing here in Acts 5. And as a result, People brought, verse 15, the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Listen, if you have a headache or something going wrong in your stomach, what do you do? You go to Walgreens or you CVS people, I don't know, whatever. Listen, you go get medicine, right? These people are dragging their sick. Just, just picture this scene. Their loved ones, their friends, their neighbors, they're putting them on a mat, on a bed. They're dragging them into the streets because they believe there's something about this name Jesus. People are being healed. If Peter's shadow can just fall on my loved one, maybe he or she will be healed. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. So this message is spreading and they're bringing their sick and those who were tormented by evil spirits, and all of them, all of them, verse 16, were healed. The high priests, what do they do? They arrested them again, and they put them in jail, but, now don't take this next phrase so lightly today. Please, just let it sink in to the depths of who you are. So they're arrested, they're put in jail again, but an angel of the Lord opened the doors. <laughs> Hello. Do you love a good story, right? I mean, these apostles, they're busted, they're in trouble, they're put behind doors in the jail cell, but an angel of the Lord opened the doors. Listen, why are so, so many of us so astonished when we hear stories of modern-day miracles? Is it because we don't expect them? Just asking for a friend. We're so astonished when we hear stories of modern day miracles and it could be because we don't expect them. We depend on so many other things, so many other people. What if we just expected miracles, huh? Listen to this powerful testimony. One pastor was locked up in Nanyang prison in Asia after 75 days of being denied food, his wife was allowed to come visit him. Surviving 75 days without food is a miracle. Hello? He was five feet, five inches tall and weighed less than 70 pounds. The authorities hoped that his wife would come and see his despair and convince him to renounce his superstitious beliefs and reveal the locations of his unregistered house churches. She said he was an unsightly pile of skin and bones covered in crusty blood and filth. His ears shriveled like raisins, his body beaten, his scalp exposed because prison guards ripped out his hair. You know, somebody that willing to suffer for Christ, do you think he's married to a woman who showed up and said, renounce 
your superstitious beliefs. Throw in the towel. Come on, babe, give in and go home. Rat out the churches. This, is not, this isn't working. No! Boy, I'd love to meet this woman. You know, she showed up and whispered in his ear, you keep fighting. Jesus is with you. This message of the gospel, it's worth it. Come on, God is with you. He is not far from you. He will sustain you. He will protect you. He will guard you. I'm praying for you. Our church is praying for you. Come on, don't, don't stop fighting. I suspect that's something like what she said because he remained. And on May 5th, 1997, the man received a vision in which he was told, open the iron door. Open the iron door. Barely able to walk, he strolled by multiple guards, all of which he said stared right at him. When he reached the ground level, he was in broad daylight in the courtyard, praying every single step, anticipating getting caught any moment. He reached the maximum security prison's main gate, and he simply pushed the gate open and walked out. That's better than anything you're going to hear or read today. I promise you. Come on. Miracles still happen. What if we expected them? So an angel of the Lord opened the doors. What happens after the apostles were miraculously released from prison? What do you think happened? You're right. They preached. They get arrested. They preach. They get in trouble. They get warned. They get released. They preach. Stop preaching. You're in trouble for preaching. Go back to jail. You get released. I mean, this is a vicious cycle that these earliest followers of the way experienced. But Acts 5, 27 through 32, the authorities were ticked. The apostles are brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And I love this response in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, and you know they didn't go, can we just have a few minutes? We need to talk about this together. And then they walk back into the corner. No, I think they immediately, without any sort of hesitation, said, We must obey God rather than human beings. Let's make it personal to the Sanhedrin. We're going to obey God and not you. We're going to obey God. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed. You hung him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So as a result, you might think that they went out and preached. Not this time. This time they were flogged, publicly disgraced. They were lashed on their backs with whips and rods, bleeding, suffering. And after dozens of whips, they were likely taking in a deep breath, wondering if it was their last. This must have felt so defeating. Especially after this beating, the apostles were ordered again, 
do not speak again in the name of Jesus. So what do you think happened next? Mm -hmm. Acts 5, 41 and 42 tells us the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Beaten, whipped, mocked, and they left rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, day after day from house to house, they never stopped teaching, never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I'm not proud of the quantity of candy that I consume. A lot of people who know me well know that it's an issue. I inherited this problem from my mother. Everywhere we went throughout my childhood, she packed half a pound to a pound and a half of candy. We called them provisions. I don't want to pass this problem on to my children, but it appears I already have. Here's Macy. (laughs) Macy has a candy problem. It's not her fault. She got it from me. We talk about this on occasion. Macy, we can't eat that much candy. It's not healthy. It's not good for your teeth, which I feel totally hypocritical having that conversation. But anyway... Her response is always like, Dad, I hear you. I really do hear you. But then it's kind of like there's nothing you can do to stop me. I mean, she really didn't say it that way, but that's her attitude. Sure, Dad, I hear you. But you know I'm just going to keep eating candy. Peter, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop the healings. Stop this movement now. And I feel like Peter's response could be summarized, you know, I hear you. I really do. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm gonna keep on preaching that Jesus is the Christ. The apostles were bold. From my perspective, yes, they may have been fearful at times. They cried out to God for help, but I don't think they were intimidated. I truly don't read in the text that they were intimidated at all. They died to self. The apostles possessed a death-defying, contagious, everything-is-possible kind of faith, and it inspires me, my friends, in our culture, our our morally declining culture at a fast pace. I, I am inspired by the faith, the resiliency of those that have come before us in this faith. We can't be quiet. No matter what the opposition is in our lives, we cannot be quiet. Boldness, let me give you a definition of boldness. The worship team's going to come back out and prepare to lead us. Boldness is not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger. It is to have courage and to be daring. Not hesitating, not being fearful in the face of actual or possible danger. Let me give you another definition of boldness. An undeniable sign of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. 
If you are bold, it is an undeniable, undeniable sign of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So as a Christ follower, and this is something we're having to walk through together as a church, but also individually as we look at the text, as a Christ follower, if you bear the name son of God or daughter of God, Christ follower, follower of Jesus, if that is you, and if I'm talking to you right now, I'm so sorry, it's not my message, it's the text. Listen, evangelism, sharing your faith, being a witness, testifying to the goodness of God, testifying to the grace of God, showing the world that it is better with Jesus. It's not optional and it's not seasonal. It's not a hobby. I'm talking about a way of life. It's more important than your work. It's more important than your reputation. It's more important than your money, friends. It's more important than your success. It's more important than your family. And Jesus warned us of this. To be bold is an undeniable sign of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It is our way of life. And yes, it might just be a little bit risky, but my encouragement to you today As we look at this text, my encouragement to you today, if you have been comfortably quiet with your testimony, comfortably quiet with the gospel, do you know why the apostles weren't quiet? Because they wanted the other people to experience what they experienced in Jesus. Do you? I love you right now, okay? I love you so much. Whatever you've experienced in Jesus, do you want other people to experience that? Because if so, you can't be quiet with your faith. You've got to be bold. You have to be. This is not a message to be kept to yourself. God's plan of salvation is for the world. You're a part of the world, but it's not isolated to you. He loves all people, so if you have been comfortably quiet with your faith, my encouragement to you is to take a step. Take a bold step. Spiritually speaking today, come out of your witness protection program. There's no such thing for a Christ follower. There's no program that protects you and guards you from sharing your faith, sharing the gospel. There's a thousand different ways and scenarios and conversations and strategies. All that's fine. But we have to be a bold people to join the apostles, to join our Christian ancestors throughout the ages, to be bold with the gospel. So, brothers and sisters, go and tell somebody. Please, Whatever form or fashion the Spirit leads you, go tell somebody about Jesus. Go stand and worship. Thanks for listening today. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.